Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. 710 ESPN presents The Experience Experience with Laverne Cusack. Where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of The Experience, Laverne Cusack. Laverne Cusack. Stephanie Turner is the writer, director, star of the film Justine, which chronicles the turbulent time of grief for Lisa Wade, played by Turner, a wife and mother of two whose happiness is tragically disrupted when her military husband is killed. Justine was acquired recently by Array. Check it out on Netflix. Available now. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is 710 ESPN. I'm speaking with the filmmaker, actor, producer extraordinaire, Stephanie Turner. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I always found it interesting how sports plays a big role in our lives and sports played a big role in your life. Tell us about your background and life in football. Yeah, so I um, am the daughter of a football coach. My dad is Norv Turner. He uh, has coached in the NFL for my whole life, 30-something years. And um, before that, coached in college and, uh, you know, played football himself. And that's, you know, I, that's the, his brother played and coached and my cousins and my brother, my brother now is a coach. Um, so that's my football family. It's the world I grew up in. How was it growing up in a football family? You know, I think it it was all I knew. So, so that was, I really, you know, I didn't have any other experience. My dad was um, a coach. He lived and breathed, breathed football and his job was, um, you know, he was obviously loved and cared for his family, but my mom didn't work. She stayed with us and he was out coaching and, uh, with his team and what, whatever team that may have been at the time. Um, and so, yeah, we moved around. Um, that was just sort of something that we knew growing up was that if, if the team didn't do well and we got, and my dad got fired, then we would be probably be moving. And so it was just kind of how it was. Um, it was all I knew. And uh, I was fortunate that, you know, in the, in the football world, everyone is pretty close um, in terms of like, you know, you move to a different city and you know, the only people you know in that city are the other people on the team. So the players and the coaches and their wives and families kind of become your community. So I, a lot of the coaches, kids that I know and that I grew up with, you know, moved around a lot, like had it a lot sort of worse than I did. Um, they moved around maybe like every year or every couple years. And I was pretty fortunate in that I, I was born in LA. My brothers and I were all born in LA. And then, because um, my dad was coaching at USC at the time and then with the Rams when they were in LA the first time. Then I moved at, at six, I moved to Dallas and we were there for like three, three and a half years. And then from there, we moved to the DC area and he was with the Redskins for seven years. So I went to most of most of my schooling in Northern Virginia, D.C. area. So we had some good stretches of being in cities for long, longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the life of a coach's kid. 
So with him being a football coach, did he bring the skills or instill the 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 traits that you have today with producing and directing and writing your own film called Justine? Because you did it all in this movie. I think the biggest thing that translates, I guess, from my experience with my dad and seeing his journey as a coach was that, um, you know, he, he loved football and that's why he became a coach. He was passionate about it. And, um, he, my dad grew up on welfare. He grew up in public housing. He, um, his athleticism was his talent and that's what got him a scholarship to go to college. And then in college, he realized, Oh, I really love this game. I love the strategy of this game and I want to keep uh, doing it and I want to teach it to other people and be a part of this world. So that's how he got into coaching. And, you know, coaching is a difficult profession to get into. I mean, to make a living, mm-hmm. I, you know, to, to start, he played on a college team. So that's where he started as a graduate assistant. And then he uh, pursued and, and tried to become a coach at a professional level, which, you know, he had success and, and did well in that. But so for me, I, I had that as my example growing up. Like I didn't come from a traditional upbringing of like, hey, you have to go to college. You have to do this. You have to do that. Yes, those are things that my parents valued. But I saw, I got to see somebody chasing their dream. That's what I grew up around. And so when I was passionate about acting and storytelling, because I started in this industry as an actor. And I, growing up, I always said, you know, I want to be an actor. Um, that was my dream. And so when it was time for me to decide, you know, am I going to go to college? Am I going to go study something specific? For me, my dream was to, to be an actor. And I think it was maybe easier for me to pursue that because I had an example of somebody else in my life that really went after their dream. I didn't have parents that were telling me, no, you can't do that. You know? Um, right. Cause my dad couldn't because it's like he tried to be a football coach, you know, he couldn't sit there and tell me I couldn't go be an actor. So yeah, I think that's like the biggest, just, you know, basic thing that I took away from the experience of growing up in that world, but also like, you know, work ethic, because obviously or being around professional athletes, there are some very hardcore extreme work ethics. Um, right in those locker rooms and their standards, you know, that are met and there are expectations and there are people who are super passionate and super driven. And um, so I have a lot of examples of seeing that in my childhood as well. Yeah. And I've talked about this on my show a lot, how you can really tell if someone has been around sports a lot or has participated participated in team sports, uh, especially when you get out into the workplace, because you see that, that drive, they know how to work with a team, you know, it's, it's that passion behind it. And it's so visibly clear to me when, when someone hasn't played in sports. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I think, you know, in terms of film sets or production crews, you know, on any level, it's, it's very much a team element that is created. And I think that just like you said, you can tell who is going to be a part of the team and who's not, and who is willing to find a way to work with one another and who isn't, Uh, you know, 
on every set. It's like, and I think that is something that I realized later that maybe why I was drawn to production and to, you know, being a part of storytelling in that way, in like a film set type of way or in a TV set type of way is that you're in this project together. It's almost like playing a game, you know, it's almost like being a part of a team with the, when the season starts, everybody has like such high hopes, you know, everyone, mm-hmm. everyone is so excited and we're all in this together. And then, you know, you maybe lose a game, you win a game, like you, there are ups and downs, but you really feel united to this group of people. And I think that's, you know, the, the film sets where people get really close and, um, and then it's hard to sort of walk away from those at the same time. Like, it's like, okay, the season ended. What do we do now? Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that, you know, I see with you and acting and with football, it's uncertain. You know, there's no, I mean, mm-hmm. you can have a job one day and then, you know, the show could get canceled the next day. Exactly. To have that type of mindset it can be, well, makes you resilient, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, if anything, it just, you, you sort of have to build up the experience of having that feeling of rejection, you know, or that feeling of disappointment. Because I think when you realize like, okay, I, you, let's say you want to, as an actor, you're auditioning for this big role and you think you're going to get it. And you, you know, the producers tell you you are great. And this person tells you you are great. And you, you're, you really think you're going to get offered the job and then you don't um, or someone else gets it or whatever. And that feeling of rejection or loss, um, it's like I, I've thought about that before. Like I grew up where my weekly sort of moods were determined by wins and losses of games. Like that was my the mood in my household. The um, It literally determined where we were going to live, you know, if my dad had a job or not. So I think that people in this industry, um, in entertainment, it's almost like you have to sort of get comfortable with that feeling of lo- you might lose, you know, you might, you might not get the job or you might get the job and make the movie and it might not be successful. And you just have to sort of pick yourself up and keep going to the next, the next thing. So your dad won two Super Bowls with the Cowboys, correct? Yes. I know it's like, that's the goal, make it to the Super Bowl. When he finally did, what was that experience like? I was pretty young at the time, but I do remember, um, I mean, I, I remember the intensity. I was like nine and 10, like eight, nine, 10-ish or, or when the Cowboys were in the Super Bowl those years. Um, and I remember the intensity of those seasons. I remember, you know, it was my dad's, and also my dad was, my dad was young at the time. I mean, so I think that, yes, of course he, the dream is like, you know, to make it to the Super Bowl. And, um, but he was fortunate that that success came early in his career. So I think that, um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't so much of this buildup of like, oh, we've never been to the Super Bowl. When is it going to happen for mm-hmm. him? Like he was fortunate that he was, around good players and on good teams and with, with good coaching staff that those things kind of happened for him earlier, which was really exciting. And I just know, I remember from that time in the early nineties when I was young and my dad, it was his first offensive coordinating position. So he was responsible for the whole offense and for the first time in his career. And he took it really, really seriously and, you know, would get to work at 5am and, 
uh, not come home sometimes until, you know, 11 o'clock midnight and just really, you know, had this sort of weight of the team on his shoulders and the offense and obviously working with Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith and some really great uh, talented athletes and, and people. And um, just, I just remember as a kid, the, the emotions of it and the experience and the excitement of all of these guys that really I looked at as like in some ways as part of my family because my dad spent so much time with all of these players, you know, that was where he right. was all, all day when he wasn't with us, we knew he was with them. And so just really as a kid, I remember the feeling of the love that I had for my dad and the coaches and the players and all the guys that were out there trying so hard and working so hard. And, and I, I remember both Super Bowls. I remember going onto the field, um, like more specifically in Atlanta, uh, which was the second one. And, you know, when they won and getting, you know, running onto the field and Troy picking me up and hugging me and he was sweaty and, you know, my dad being so happy and just like, you know, all of those, those memories of just pure joy and excitement. Um, and, but, you know, that being said, I also remember like, you know, the, the stressful nights and the, you know, my dad not being home and, um, and the times when this, when the stakes are so high and yes. you're a good team and you think, oh, we might make it to the Super Bowl. And then, I remembered certain losses during those seasons that were just so crushing. And, um, you know, when the stakes are high, the losses are, are more intense. And obviously it ended up working out and they won the Super Bowl. But I remember those times as well being intense. Right, right. And uh, again, you wrote, you directed uh, Justine, which has a lot of high stakes in it as well. Did you take your experience growing up and put it into this film? What was your vision behind Justine? Now available on Netflix. <laughs> yes, now on Netflix. Um, I think, you know, it's not a true story, but I do I do think a lot of elements uh, from the way I grew up and different things I experienced in my life were inspiration in creating the story. So I think, yeah, I mean, the... The initial idea was uh, to create a story about this relationship between a little girl and her caregiver um, that is played by my character, or my character is the caregiver played by me. But so yeah, but there are different elements of the film. I mean, I think I think my character Lisa is doesn't really feel as if she fits in in society to some extent. Um, she feels maybe like an outsider or that she doesn't quite belong in different. Um, like settings that she's being put into. And um, also she is a little bit kind of rough around the edges and um, doesn't come off as the most likable person in society. And for various reasons, whether that's like, you know, her upbringing, the way she grew up or just who she is, who her personality is. So I wanted to explore like what, what a woman like that who is perceived by society as being unlikable, like what is her story? What is she really about? And um, so that's why, you know, that's kind of what drove me to write it. Um, looking back at, you know, why did I want to write a character like that? I do think growing up the way that I did, growing up, moving around, never really feeling like I was a part of the city that I lived in as a kid, you know, that I was never feeling like I was really part of 
the community, um, whether I, you know, if I went to school with a bunch of kids that had grown up together their whole lives and I was the new person, my dad was a coach. Um, I also, you know, I, I, I just think like there's a lot of that from my childhood that, um, I held on to that maybe I wanted to explore in a character or in a story. Yeah. The feeling uh, of like not belonging. Yes. Uh, I, I definitely felt that. And I was thinking about your character and why I did not like her at all. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm so angry with her. I mean, not to give, well, can, can we say that? So you're, you're mourning, yeah. you're mourning yeah. the death of your husband. And I felt your character was ignoring the children that are right there that are, they're just so cute and beautiful right. and just, I guess people grieve in, in different ways, but I just was pissed. I was pissed. <laughs> I know. Well, it's so, it's funny because like my mom, when she watched the movie, she was like, I just don't understand why she has to be so mean. Um, <laughs> because she, you know, she had the same reaction. And I think that um, as mothers, which, you know, I'm a mom as well. Mm-hmm. I think that we see this, any, I know for myself, like if I see a child being mistreated in a film or TV show, it's extremely hard for me to watch. And I, I think that, you know, as moms, maybe we just have that in us, this protective Mm -hmm. thing of not wanting to see a child get hurt, even their feelings hurt, you know? And, um, so yeah, my character is, ignoring you know and kind of dismissive of her own children and um I think that you know that's the actor in me that wanted to explore um I I think in film for years we have been able to watch men that are the heroes of their story um be jerks basically Mm -hmm. you know I mean we've we've been able to watch them be grumpy and moody and you know still get this amazing woman in their life and still Mm -hmm. get like whatever story you know they can be this kind of like grumpy unlikable jerk and yet they become the hero of the story and and that's great you know I think that there is obviously there's a ton of different types of people and personalities in the world and we should be able to see that and those stories can be entertaining so but my, what I haven't seen as a woman watching, you know, TV and film my whole life is a woman that gets to be that and isn't a bad, isn't like a bad guy in the movie, you know, isn't seen as the bad person, but is allowed to be unlikable, is allowed to not be pleasing to everybody um, and doesn't have to, isn't expected to apologize for it in every single scene. Um, and I think that's something that in life, you know, we, I know go walking around the world, like, you know, people see me, I'm like a normal looking white lady and people want me to smile at them. You know, they mm-hmm. want me to like interact with them in a certain way. And I think that that's what I wanted to challenge in the film too, is like, we have this expectation when we think of people we, based on how they look, you know, okay, this person looks like this, this person looks like that, they're going to act this way, or they're going to be this type of person. And I just kind of wanted to challenge that in some ways and let this character be unlikable and see how people reacted to her. Right. 
And Glenn Terman is yeah. your father-in-law. And he he comes in, he's like the rock, you know, mm-hmm. until you can, I guess, acknowledge your feelings or acknowledge your life. Yeah. I mean, I think he, the way that I had it sort of set up in the in the story is that um, my character doesn't have a lot of family and um, her husband was killed and, and that's not giving away too much of the story because that's, mm-hmm. that is revealed pretty early on. But, um, and so, you know, she, she is forced to get support in her life. She has two kids. She's a single mom now and she doesn't have family and her husband um, and her were, kind of childhood sweethearts and they grew up together and so she knows his father very well they she, he's known her since she was a kid and so they have this kind of existing relationship um he knows that she's not the easiest person to get along with um but at the same time he loves her because he's you know she's his daughter-in-law and he's known her for a long time and so um she moves in with him and you know brings her two kids and in a way, I think, you know, she is able to check out and to kind of go deep into her own grief because she knows he's going to be there to help her with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it would be a different story if if she was living by herself and ignoring her kids. But she moves in with him and she checks out emotionally and he really is there to kind of pick up the pieces and to care for them and to be a fun grandpa to them and and I think he does such a great job in the role. Yes, um, he's wonderful. Of being that. Absolutely. And then Justine comes in and you start caring for her. Tell us about your motivation behind Justine's character. Um, so, yeah, I I wanted the, you know, I liked the, the idea of um, this kind of tough, sort of harder to get along with woman being a caretaker for a child who was, really, really sheltered in her own life. And the idea that this woman who was caring for her wouldn't shelter her in the same way and would kind of challenge her in a good way to to be a part of the world. Um, and I guess part of the inspiration came from the fact that I, I used to teach kids. I taught a kid's choir in Hollywood for several years. And um, in teaching, I came across, you know, I had a lot of different students and from a lot of different backgrounds and also just um, with a lot of different abilities. Some have had behavioral uh, challenges, other kids had physical disabilities. And um, I just witnessed, you know, within that teaching system, like how people treated kids differently um, according to what they thought of them. Or, and that, that same idea of sort of looking at somebody and judging them and then treating right. them a certain way. So I guess I had feelings about that. You know, I had feelings about how different kids got treated or how different adults sort of dealt with different issues they came across um, with children. And so I think the inspiration to write that character and to even write the dynamic of the story was came from my kind of thoughts and feelings about what I experienced. Yeah, I and I loved how your relationship with her not only helped you, but it helped her family grow as well. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, there's some, there are 
some issues that, you know, get brought up and there's some um, between the two families and there's obviously differences in beliefs and, um, and judgments being made, you know, on both sides. But, mm-hmm. um, and I, that was like a challenge, you know, when, when any sort of hot button type issues get brought up, um, there's this tendency or maybe the fear of the tendency to go into like a preachy quality or to get into like a soapbox learning teaching moment, um, which I was, you know, trying to steer clear of and trying to keep it real and grounded. And, um, and, you know, I don't know. I think like there are moments where Justine's family could potentially learn from what Lisa is saying or how Lisa is criticizing them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I sort of, and maybe this is like this, you know, cynical point of view, but um, I just, I kind of feel like if anything, like Lisa's calling them out on their wrong thinking or their, mm-hmm. their bad thinking. And are they going to change? I don't know. Do people change? You know, I mean, do people that are racist or ignorant or, uh, you know, misogynist, like, do they change? when you call them out on their behavior. Mm-hmm. I think some do maybe, you know, I think maybe it lands with some people and then I think mm-hmm. other people are just going to keep doing what they're doing. Um, right. So that was like another, you know, kind of thing that I wanted to raise in the film was like, yeah, there, this is a miraculous story about, Oh, how this woman made these people change their, their minds. But I don't know. You never know. Like maybe they do change their minds. Like I kind of wanted to leave it a little bit vague in that way. Right. Right. Um, But when they called you to the hospital, I think Mm -hmm. that took a lot of guts for the character, the character played by Darby Stanchfield, right? Yeah. That's how you pronounce it. Darby Mm -hmm. Stanchfield from Scandal. She was wonderful. Um, Yeah. I was like, what is she doing calling her? That's, that's a change maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like what her, I think what Darby's character represents is, um, and again, like for people who haven't watched the movie, they're probably like, what are you talking about? But but if you watch like, you know, um, I think that her Darby's character represents this idea of like, you know, when you call somebody out on something and then they maybe are defensive at first, but then a little bit later, they're like, oh, and then they, they kind of try to like defend their point of view. Right. But what you can, but what you can see in them is whatever you said made an impact on that. Like Mm -hmm. if they're defending themselves and trying to justify like their position or saying like, oh, well, the reason why I said that is because, you know, you don't know how hard it is for me. And I said that because this happened to me or whatever, like whatever the specifics may be. And that's all great. Like we can see that, that maybe that person is being defensive or trying to justify their actions. But what I also see is they were impacted by you calling them out on their bad behavior. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. You know? And Mm -hmm. I think like, that's the, the change that I wanted to show in Darby's character um, is that, you know, my character says some things to her and accuses her and her husband of being a certain way. And 
she, I think, you know, wants as much as she wants to deny that and as much as she wants to act like that's not the truth, she also knows that it is, that there's a part of it that is true. And that to me is just like being open and, and at least, you know, you can do and say the wrong thing, but like being open to hearing that criticism and changing your ways is the hope in the movie, you know? Right. Stephanie, this movie took a while for you to, for it to get made. Um, what would you say to someone that wants to do what you did, like produce, write, and direct, do everything yeah. from top to bottom? It did take a while, and it doesn't happen in one certain way. Like, I think that's, that's the biggest thing I would say is just keep doing it and keep trying to, you know, keep taking the next step. So if you're writing the script and then you need to get notes from people or you need to do a rewrite or you, um, you know, just kind of keep moving. That's, that would be my advice. Um, because I had a lot of sort of dead ends or what, what could have been thought of as dead ends, but, um, I just had to keep finding new paths to get it made. Um, and that might mean, you know, calling people that you know in the industry, asking for advice, asking for introductions, applying for, you know, I applied for a lot of grants and labs and um, some were like screenplay writing competitions or um, throughout the process of trying to get it made. I was, you know, talking about my story, you know, talking about the story, sharing the story with people, trying to get uh, advice or suggestions of, you know, where do you think I should take this? What producers do you think would be interested in this? Um, because even if that isn't the way that it's going to get made, it might take you to the next step, which right. will be the place where it's going to get made. Yeah, absolutely. Never give up, right? Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're if you passionate and you love it, you know, I, I think if you don't, then yeah, just go do something else. But like <laughs> if you're, because there were times when in the process of, trying to make this movie, you know, I, um, I would have to check back in and I would take maybe a couple months and I wouldn't look at the script. Um, and then I'd come back to it and I'd reread it. And I would tell myself like, okay, if you still have a feeling like this is a good story and this is something that I care about sharing with the world, if you still feel that way about it, then keep going. And if you don't, then just start working on another project, you know? And, and um, I think I just, every time I came back to it, I did feel like I wanted to keep going. But I always tell people, like, if you don't enjoy it, and not to say that every moment is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy, like, <laughs> joyful, um, mm-hmm. there will be hard, challenging times. But, but yeah, like, I think ultimately, if, 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 it, if you still have that desire and the, the drive and the passion to do it, then keep going. Absolutely. And again, how can we see this and rate it and like it and share it? Yeah, so uh, it's on Netflix, streaming on Netflix. And um, we were uh, released by Ava DuVernay's wonderful company, Array. So you can follow Array on Instagram and uh, Twitter and all of that and follow me on Instagram and Twitter and uh we, you know, the film's on Netflix, but we've been doing, I think next week we're doing like a tweet-a-thon talking about making the movie and um, 
Array does different, you know, kind of events and stuff right now. Obviously, it's all streaming and online type events. But, um, but yeah, to get plugged into the film, follow us. And um, I guess rate it on Netflix, right? You can yes. rate things on, yeah, yeah, rate it on Netflix and tell your friends and, yeah, keep our views up. Yeah, there's, um, again, it's Justine. It's on Netflix, Justine. Um, just what you were saying about marketing or, you know, sharing what you can of the movie, things are changing so much. Well, they have to change. They had to change. So it's, it's interesting to see how companies are maneuvering through this time. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we, we sort of lucked out that our film was released was always intended to be released on a streaming platform. You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of films were supposed to be released theatrically during this time. And obviously that's not happening. So, so our audience kind of always knew like where to find us. Um, But I think that, you know, people, it's been an adjustment, but I think that in a lot of ways it's been really interesting and fun to be able to see people, you know, doing like live streams from their home or uh, Instagram live, all of those like talking and engaging with people and a lot of different filmmakers and producers and are, you know, reaching out and sharing advice. And um, that's another thing, like for people who are aspiring and trying to get their stuff made, like there's so, there's just a ton of information available online now of people talking about, how they made movies or, you know, their approach to filmmaking and just kind of making the most of all that that's available. Yes. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing Justine with us and sharing your life growing up in a football family. Um, It's very eye-opening. I I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And sorry if you hear my kids talking in the background. Oh, that's fine. (laughs) Give them a big hug. I will. (laughs) Again, Stephanie Turner, filmmaker, writer, director extraordinaire of Justine, available on Netflix. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is 710 ESPN. You've been listening to The Experience with Laferne Cusack. Getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with Laferne Cusack on 710 ESPN.